0: Hey there, TMC followers. Just wanted to throw this out there for you. If you've listened to our podcast for a while and you maybe have a question about the format or you have a suggestion for an upcoming guest, et cetera, email us, ezra at com or dave at com, and would love to get your feedback. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated
1: to helping you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here are your hosts, Ezra Beyer and David Hartkoff.
0: We're talking today with Ashley Hales and the topic is a spacious life trading hustle and hurry for the goodness of limits and um, gonna be talking about just the importance of kind of a number of things but building one building healthy rhythms things like that in your life as well and one of the healthy rhythms and things that I did this weekend was I bought a sauna for our backyard so oh, this is what? perfect yes. Yeah. So uh, for oh, meditation, all that kind of stuff. So yes, this is see, I grew up, I had I had Finnish neighbors, right, from Finland. So yeah. everyone had saunas growing up. I grew up in northern Canada for those of you that don't know. So, anyways. So as I was reading Ashley's book this morning, finishing it up, I was like, Yes, so much of this escaping busyness, hurry, hustle. This is this is perfect. So this hey, just I was pretty, fits right in. I out.
1: was pretty pretty pumped. Jess and I kinda took a break, uh, you know, five months late, we took our 15th wedding anniversary, took a little weekend trip, Yep. and uh, so I kind of felt a little good about that at least, so if there's like an altar call at the end of this, I feel like I might not have to go or something, I don't yeah. really know, but yeah. I honestly, oh man, I feel like so many people I talk to call it, colleagues friends when you ask them how they're doing the first thing that comes out of their mouth is man i'm so busy busy uh, it, it feels like it never yep. stops yeah and um yeah just uh, i'm looking forward to, to speaking with ashley today just uh, practically speaking about uh some of these things and what can we do to get out of this perpetual feeling of hurry and You know, If you pay attention to statistics, it seems like anxiety is on the rise in our society and culture, so I Mm -hmm. think it's a much-needed topic to talk about today.
0: Ashley Hales, writer, speaker, host of the Finding Holy podcast. She's the author of Finding Holy in the Suburbs, interesting book. I want to chat briefly about that, and her writing has been featured in Christianity Today, Books and Culture, and the Gospel Coalition. Uh, Dr. Ashley Hales, uh, welcome to the Monday Christian Podcast. Great to have you.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with
0: you. Well, absolutely. And I just love this. Okay. We bring on a lot of different authors, speakers, right from week to week. And sometimes you have different communicators come on and you say, okay, well we scheduled this, so we're going to do it. Right. But it doesn't yep. really fit exactly where you're at in life. And so you mm-hmm. kind of have to make an adjustment and then go back to your chaotic, chaotic life afterwards. <laughs> yeah. This book was perfect. So timing was excellent. So, Thank you for arranging that.
2: Thank you. That. Oh, <laughs> my pleasure. You know, it is a bit funny now with the global pandemic, people are really realizing their limits. So it, it turned out to be quite timely. Yep.
0: Okay. Well, first off, I got to get this out of the way. Do you have a son named Ezra? Is that, is that I right? I do.
2: Yes. I know. Whoa. Yes. My oldest son is Ezra. Yep.
0: Okay. So, why? Why did you pick a name like that? Because that, see, I love that name. That's, that's, that. there, well, there were, there's like one of like three in the world. I, I think I've met like two other Ezra's. And right,
2: I, I actually ran into a toddler Ezra at Nordstrom Rack the other day. I was like, the, the mom was calling him back from the shoe department. And yeah. And I was like, Ezra, I am a 14 year old Ezra. So, yes.
0: I was out ref in a hockey game one time. And I'm out out there on the ice and uh, I'm reffing and all of a sudden I hear the coach yelling like Ezra, Ezra. I'm like, okay, that's gotta be me. And I was like, whoa, there, it was one of the kids. I was like, wow, there is another one in the world. So that's it's making a resurgence. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for coming. And, uh, let's just start with this, um, Mm -hmm. a spacious life, trading, hustle and hurry for the goodness of limits. The all important question, I guess, uh, why this book for this time?
2: in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think it's said often that authors will write the book like that they needed to read 10 or 15 years ago. And that was definitely true for me. I feel like, especially when I had Ezra, he was, he's my firstborn and we have four kiddos. Like those years, um, I have a PhD and I was kind of told like many folks probably listening that you can be all you can be and do all you can do and, um, go out and save the world and change the world for Jesus and um i mean i don't think that was necessarily explicit but it was definitely implicit in a lot of the culture and you know to realize actually i have very firm limits on my body on my time on my attention um and that those are gifts from god and i think especially after we you know the last two years of a global pandemic we have really come to grips with our limits i don't think we actually seen them yet as invitations Um, And so hopefully A Spacious Life will be helpful as we discuss further, uh, you know, how our limits might actually invite us to know God and make him known instead of simply fighting our limits or ignoring them or pushing them down or falling into shame when we hit one. But it's definitely not the American way to see our limits Mm. as good.
1: Ashley, let me ask you this. since writing the book and maybe reflecting on your journey here, mm-hmm. how is your definition of success? You just mentioned sort of mm-hmm. the American mm-hmm. dream uh, in the in the music world. Sometimes we joke about I'm a trumpet player and we, we joke everything. The next thing has got to be higher, faster, louder, bigger, right. the bigger right. the event, more, you know, more smoke machines on Sunday. Uh, loud. <laughs> it's everything. It's just more, more, more. Um, how is your definition of success or how do you view success differently from maybe when you started writing the book or kind of coming out of your, your PhD work and that desire to go, I, I, I mentor and teach a lot of undergraduates that Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that passion is all misplaced, right? but like you said, I just think there's something there. So maybe drill down on that Mm -hmm. a little bit for us.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of our 20s and late teens right like we have that idealism and that drive and that energy and that's a beautiful gift of youth and I think though like as we age particularly it does need to be tempered with just the reality of our lives and to realize okay we have budgets and jobs and insurance and you know maybe you're married with children and there's so many different constraints in our life and if we keep trying to kind of live this let's go out and make things happen, this kind of useful zeal. We're not actually like growing into mature believers for sure. So I think, you know, there is a place for that. And I don't want to say that limits means we can't be ambitious or work hard. And I don't, um but Dallas Willard, for instance, says like you know, the Christian life is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. And I think there's so much about like our productivity culture that, we easily equate our, our value and worth with um, with who like what we do and how hard we work, um, and so it's really countercultural to choose to live, even in very small ordinary ways, rather you know in in ways that feel in step with the spirit, rather than for instance that bigger, faster, stronger, sort of mantra that is feels like our DNA, particularly as Americans. When you would go
0: back in time, so. Uh, your PhD in, uh, English. Is that right? From yep. Edinburgh, uh, mm-hmm. University of Edinburgh, uh, when you were over, over there. And w- if you were to look back on that time, was that a hurried time too much of a busy time? Cause it feels like you go through seasons where it's like, you can't mm-hmm. escape it, but maybe you can. And in retrospect, you would say, mm-hmm. okay, there's some things I would have done differently. How do you view mm-hmm. that now?
2: You know, I think, um, we didn't have children, so the busyness was different. Now it's like schlepping all the soccer gear, and you know,
0: I have a uh, one-month-old newborn as we speak. Things. So okay, so three kids, yeah, yeah.
2: Right, yeah, yeah. That's a lot. I hear you. Um, but you know, in those early, you know, those were our mid-twenties that we were, my husband and I, in graduate doing graduate work over in Edinburgh, and um, I, I think about maybe like the first Christmas, my sister-in-law asked us, "So what are you guys doing for fun?" And we realized like we aren't having any fun. <laughs> like we just sit next to each other and study all the time or we're working. And um, and so that became kind of a wake up call to how can we actually live hospitably? How can we welcome people into our lives? How can we like have a more full orbed life? And I think, you know, the beauty of a spacious life. And as we think about this hustle and this hurry culture is that it allows us as we create margin to actually experience God ourselves and then make him known in hospitable ways for our neighbors.
1: So I just want to jump back to this again. So if I'm thinking about, you know, somebody that you hold up as a hero in a book, you know, at least uh, in my context, for example, you know, Methodist history, John Wesley, (laughs) you know, (laughs) if I hold John Wesley up or unknown faithful church pastor of 70, who's been there for 35 years and is unknown and is quietly ministered in a community, I think most Mm -hmm. people would strive to, to be like John and uh, Mm. just, I don't know if you want to expand on that some more. I just, I don't want to squash people's ambition, but also to realize that for most of us, for me, like we're, we're just ordinary and God has called us to be faithful in different ways. And, trying to build, isn't there like a lot of platform building that seems to be going on (laughs) these days? Like, I just, some of that just seems, uh, anxiety inducing and, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of work and maybe Mm -hmm. not, not, not ordained by God. I don't know.
2: Right. Yeah. No, I think those are all really good thoughts, you know, as we think about, okay, what does it look like for the average Christian to live a faithful life? And I think, that exactly what you were saying, that the idea of faithfulness, rather than the kind of success by metric numbers is, you know, what the gospels keep reminding us, you know, Jesus talks about, Mm. right, you're gonna be like a seed, right, that falls to the ground and it has to die first, it opens up, you know, so that something else can grow from it. And I think the more we talk about the language of faithfulness, um, I think the more we'll be encouraged to live really like quiet, thoughtful, neighbor oriented lives, rather than, you know, this platform building that really, you know, for authors, for instance, you know, you have conversations like this, and, you know, you're supposed to do all these, all of these events and hustle to like get the book and your name out there um, and make sure you're commenting on social media. And um, it's one exhausting (laughs) and two, you know, it's, it's not like a sustainable rhythm. And so there is both hard work and ambition and creativity in any line of work that we're doing. But you know, the ultimately a platform is never going to give back to us. You know, Mm. it's never, it's never going to really dive through grief and pain like Jesus, who will be with us in those hard moments. Um, it won't abide with us. And so we have to have these kind of rhythms of our in our personal lives to prevent us from always choosing like an external metric by which we measure ourselves. Mm, and so I don't good. think that's just for authors or you know people who are kind of more in the public spotlight, but we can easily choose so many different metrics to measure our worth. And we have to have kind of counter liturgies to like rudis in our bodies rudis with jesus and our local church bodies as ways to actually live out a more spacious life instead of we're gonna easily always gonna get co-opted into a story of hustle and hurry otherwise
0: yeah see dave that's okay i'll push back on dave i won't push back on your thoughts actually i'll push back (laughs) on dave's thoughts um because this is a reality. We had Terry Luperon, on, okay. Successful billionaire and he's built his company, but then he talks about how he burned out, right? At a young age and realized he had to work 40 hours a week instead of working a ton of hours. And Dave, your lawnmower guy is back again. So he is, <laughs> he, he, he enjoys the hustled life. Yes. Um, <laughs> we have this running joke every Monday, just as we're about to start the podcast, this uh-huh. mower guy comes out. So I do not know who it is, but I want to meet him someday. Um, <laughs> so, but okay, it, it, with these rhythms, so you think of like oh, let's take Terry Luper as an example, successful billionaire builds his company, right? And so he realizes the importance of, of rhythms. It seems like a lot of people, in, y- in your case as well, Ashley, you write on the importance of rhythms, but you're also high, very high performing. You have a PhD, and you know what it—I'm guessing—is <laughs> to work really hard, get up early, and 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 do that. And so, I guess what what is the what is the balance that you've mm-hmm. found there? What is the balance between working too hard and pushing your own? Mm-hmm platform, Mm -hmm. and then saying, okay, no, I'm being a good steward of Mm -hmm. the talents God's given me.
2: Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it has to do about, you know, where we start. And, you know, like the order of the universe is always grace first. You know, you get that way back in the very beginning of the Bible and the opening chapters of Genesis, there's a sense in which rest comes first. that it becomes for the people of God, Adam and Eve, and then, you know, all the way through that we, because of our identity as God's children that we receive first, and then we work in response uh, to that rest and care that we've already been given. And so I think it's just, oftentimes it's not necessarily that we're doing something wrong. It's that we've got our priorities and the order of things kind of reversed. And so I think even just a practical thing is, you know, where are you, what does your morning routine look like? Or, you know, are you practicing a Sabbath? Are you prioritizing sleep? These are all invitations to recognizing we are human (laughs) with bodies and with limits and that those are good for us. And can we actually like sit in our creatureliness and say, thank you, God, for making me and rather than kind of like, I got to act like a machine, and we often treat ourselves like our iPhones, or we only rest, we plug them in, like our bodies, we plug it in, just so we can keep working harder, so we can kind of power up and keep going. And so a lot of it might be even just asking yourself, like, what does my morning look like? What does my evening routine look like? And how can those rhythms resituate myself into the story of God instead of this kind of Hustle, work harder, be ambitious. Otherwise, I'm not worthwhile.
1: I, yeah, I just, I want to tag onto that because I think that's, I, I hesitate to say this to people. Um, uh, so Ashley, both as and I are in school right now, uh, working on our doctorates. I yeah. think he's ABD. I'm almost ABD, but like uh, I'm on a pastoral staff. I'm an undergraduate dean and I still work as a music faculty member. Some I'm like jammed yeah. full. That's a lot, but yep. Yeah, but like three years ago, Uh, I was very convicted by my casual observance of rest Mm -hmm. and it the more intentional I I would say imperfectly, but increasingly the more Mm. intentional I have been about stopping and not doing homework on Sunday and Mm -hmm. just like complete stop. It turns out I'm actually more productive. I don't want to tell people that because then it's like a commodity. Like (laughs) if you learn to rest, then you'll do more stuff.
0: (laughs) But the truth is
1: like when we, when we, operate in the rhythms that God has designed. Mm-hmm. I love the, the mm-hmm. idea that it's, fr- there's freedom there. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and actually you did, to tack onto that, you talk about Sabbath. So why is Sabbath mm-hmm. so important? And as, with your husband being a pastor for a number of right. years, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little bit difficult on a Sunday. Right. So right. How, how have you guys practiced that?
2: That's such a good question. You know, um, just practically, it looks like his Sabbath basically looks like Sunday afternoon to Monday afternoon. And me and the kids, it's kind of just all day Sunday. Um, and so we've kind of had to to figure that one out. Um, but you can maybe even hear him. He's doing some woodworking outside, <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: which is kind of how he relaxes, you know, building something that he can see and using his hands instead of always people and ideas. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of times our Sabbath is so important because like you were saying, David, that's how we were created. We were created to rest in God, to delight in him, to gather with his people, and to actually realize that we are not slaves to the cycle of production and escape. And so Sabbath is actually an invitation. You know, when we've got our heads screwed on, right, we can actually feel that that relief and that freedom within that limit. Um, But most of the time, right, when we think about our limits, we just see them as constraints. But God invites us into those constraints because he actually wants to give us real life. He wants to give us Mm -hmm. something more spacious. So for our family, of course, it looks like worship. um, I would love it if it was a screen-free day, but we haven't gotten there yet. You know, for my husband, who is working early in the morning to prepare sermons, I'm like, great, kids have screens before church. Um, And then, you know, we... We enjoy worship and gathering together. We come home. We try to have a pretty chill day. We always have dessert first on um, on our Sabbath. The Hebrew kids were woken up with honey on their tongue so they would remember how sweet the Lord's Day is. And so okay, that's I've, never, something heard that,
0: that. I've yeah. never heard of that. So, yeah, it was
2: in I think I remember yeah, talking to A. J. Swoboda. He has a book called Subversive Sabbath and that was really good. And I was like, that is something I can commit to. Like, and especially if my kids are complaining about sugar the rest of the week, it's like, well, that's something to look forward to. That's,
0: that's awesome. awesome. We should do oh. that every meal. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Sabbath as Sabbath. <laughs> no, we, we, I think Sunday is the day we call it feast day. So one day a week mm, we have dessert, yep. usually yep. like uh, more carbs. So like bread. Yeah. My wife yeah. makes bread. Can you believe it? Oh, carbs. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's awesome.
0: Yeah. You you and mentioned it's, Ashley. It's oh,
2: celebration. Yeah, it's a yes. celebration. I love it.
0: You mentioned in your book when every option is available to us, we don't actually have freedom. We tend to shut down. And mm-hmm. when you came back, I, I believe it, correct me if I'm wrong on the timeline here, but I think it was when you came back from Edinburgh and then you went into like a grocery store, right? In the mm-hmm. States and you see okay, yeah. all of these options that you have, and you know, what is what did that do to your mentally and what do you think mm-hmm. let's go with social media smartphones how is that changing us
2: mm, yeah you know i think you know in that story it just this idea right where we had like these little corner shops in edinburgh and you could like pop in and you get your you get your few items and you're you're good to go and you know it became manageable um for a household and coming to an american grocery store even you know if you're used to like a smaller grocery store and you go into like one of these Super targets, or you know, something like that. And there's so much choice. And often, when we think we want more choice, we think choice will bring freedom. But actually, we tend to have choice overload, or, or kind of paralysis in those moments. We can't make decisions um, because, like adults, I think make thirty thousand or something decisions every day. And so, so many of those become, of course, automatic for us. But you know, as we think about Things like social media as well, like you know, you you're we're always you know quickly checking our notifications, we're scrolling, and we again think more options or more likes or more followers or you know more information is going to be the thing that changes us. Um, but really, transformation is always something slow. <laughs> it's always instigated by God, and you know I think we we tend to push off the things that will actually change us like for instance social media is just safer right it feels like i can curate my own identity um and then with our just like quick habits and the you know we take out our smartphones all the time we check things a hundred million times a day i think it's a the average american spends something like at least three hours on his or her phone and that's like average right so a lot of us are spending that amount. Um, And we become chained to those devices. They become the thing that we look to for comfort instead of saying, okay, if I have this limit, the limit on my body or my time, or I'm feeling these unpleasant emotions, how can I then bring those to God? That's that's the invitation of our limits is to walk through them with Jesus, who also was limited because he was human.
1: Hmm. Oh, that's so great. So uh push notifications practice something super practical uh-huh. but yeah like i i don't have push notifications on mm-hmm. uh for like email uh facebook twitter yeah but right. the tension like as was saying if you're like a person that operates in this world and you have to respond to people right. i've i've gotten texts did you see my email? I'm like, no, I didn't because it's after <laughs> five and I have no obligation right. to check my email. But like there's this right. there's this unspoken sort of like push on your time. I should mm-hmm. be able to contact you and talk to you and right. be there, you know. So like how do we disconnect with that and also live mm-hmm. in the real world? Because mm-hmm. I think for most folks, it's like they can't have the Oreos laying on the table without eating a whole <laughs> right. sleeve of them. We all right. know it's right. bad for you, but like – and all the, if we're speaking, using that metaphor, like all Mm -hmm. the media in social media is designed to like suck you into doing that. So how do you, how does somebody practically avoid being a slave to technology?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, as like the preventative measure, things like not plugging your phone in your bedroom would be a really great start. Um, You can put limits on your apps, you know, um, through your settings. You can make the phone work for you. You just have to actually be intentional. Um, You know, um, I have at various points just deleted social media off my phone uh, or given or say I'm going to like go check Twitter at noon and then I'm done, you know, and so that we begin to kind of pull back from the reflex of, of media more generally, um, I mean those are a few kind of small starting places. I think, yeah, or not having even just choosing to not have your phone on you, I think is mm. <laughs> is countercultural. Or like turning off, you know, the do not or turning on the do not disturb kind of thing, and um, is another kind of very practical thing that we can do. But I mean, or to say I'm going to like positively plan when I'm going to be somewhere or when I am going to use this device instead of just using it kind of unthinkingly are some really easy, practical ways. And then then I think also we need to replace kind of a technological rhythm with bodily rhythms, Um, whether that's, Mm. you know, on the Sabbath, plugging in your phone and leaving it and going on a hike with your family or, you know, practice prayer, standing up or kneeling down, you know, like. So we're going for a walk and saying, I'm going to be grateful for these gorgeous changing trees and I'm just going to notice them and not pay attention to my phone. Those kind of get our brains and our bodies back in sync.
0: How can we use this in a productive way? And I say this several uh, months ago, we had Craig Dennison on the podcast Mm -hmm. and he talked about just the important, well, he talked about smartphones. And so one of the things I did right after our conversation To this day i don't have social media on my phone that's been helpful for me but Mm -hmm. i also run all the monday christian stuff i send it out online interact with people and actually over the last year i've seen some tremendous growth and help come Mm -hmm. from that and some very meaningful relations come Mm -hmm. from that and this is a conversation i was having with several of my friends um offline was okay well how do how do we do this and i think uh, a number of people would kind of say okay well um we just need to get rid of it all together right Right. so like how how do we you know because like dave was saying the oreos right so how how do we do that um and so maybe so i'll I'll use a a practical illustration a lot of my christian friends would drink and they would Mm Be fine with having a cup of wine. Or for me, I've talked, you know, I had struggles with depression and things like that, it would just not be a great idea. And so I'm just not going to start. I just don't think right. it's a good idea for me. Um, it, when we talk about social media here, how do you know if you're on that edge of, okay, I'm, I'm actually can handle this well, and I have mm-hmm. a reasonable approach to it. Or mm-hmm. if you just say, okay, you know what? This is probably one of those things that I need to remove from my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: You know, I think it's it's easier in some ways to like, just say, I'm not going to be on social media. Um, that's easier than trying to figure out how do I do this in a way that is, you know, not malforming my soul. <laughs> um, and, you know, as you need to do it for your work, um, how do you engage in healthy ways? Um, I think I'm, I'm recently reading a book called How to Do Nothing. And it talks about not like the ways in which we can choose to not give in to the attention economy. And there's a lot of stuff, it's a secular book, but there's a lot of stuff in the book that actually really fits in with what I've already written about in A Spacious Life. And so I think you know there's, there's ways in which we can figure out, okay, what are the boundary lines of this particular thing? And also to notice like, what are my own personal triggers that come up when I'm in, in an unhealthy relationship with technology. Maybe you notice envy creeping in, you know, as you're scrolling through social media. Um, maybe you just intended to, you know, think uh, like, I'm going to just go and, you know, work, do my work account kind of thing. And then all of a sudden you're there for like 30 minutes and you find yourself seeing people's vacation photos and feeling envious, you know, and so it might be that you realize, okay, you know, is envy creeping in, or comparison creeping yes. in? You know, is shame creeping in as response to what I didn't see? Then you know you've over, you've gone past the limit, right? Um, one thing I love is, you know, the very word that we often use for sin, transgression, means to go past a limit, to go beyond a, a natural, God-given limit. And so I think even just paying attention to some of the ways in which we transgress limits on our time or attention by what is kind of brought up in ourselves will be a helpful way to go, okay, that's too much. I'm gonna pull back. Um, And maybe you need like a fasting from social media, like a fasting from food you know, to be able then to re-engage in healthy
0: ways. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned that because so, so practical ways for my life, I'm just thinking out loud here is, you know, when we had the conversation with Craig Dennis and I thought, okay, you know what, this for me, isn't healthy on my phone. I don't need to check that and I'm on it enough. So that's not healthy. So I'll just remove that. But here's another area two years ago or a couple of years, no, more than that now, because we have a four-year-old. I think we back going back six years ago mm-hmm. and my wife and I were wanting to have kids and seeing all our friends post baby pictures. And Mm -hmm. we had wanted to have kids for several years, but just wasn't happening. And Mm -hmm. so the temptation in that moment was to just say, okay, I'm going to unfollow everyone that has has kids and have a happy life, right? (laughs) Just follow depressing people, right? (laughs) So we can feel better. Um, But in that moment I realized, okay, we need to grow here. And Mm. we made it a proactive decision that we're not gonna unfollow people, but we're going to cheer them on in the moment and Mm. use this as a, and so I feel like sometimes that is a little bit of the tension that we kind of manage with, with things. I don't know, Dave, do you have any thoughts?
1: I, yeah, as the resident legalist, uh, I, I, just, <laughs> I see in myself and maybe in folks that I would counsel, mentor, those mm-hmm. type of things, I see very few people that have a strategy, including myself, that is so particular and intentional that it escapes the web of uh, seduction when it comes to yeah. all of this stuff and all mm-hmm. of the, the ways it tries to suck. I mean, it's the algorithms are designed to right. make you spend as much time as possible. And I, I think for me on Sunday afternoons, the best thing for me to do, um, is to literally put the phone in a different room. Yeah. That's like, otherwise if it's present, there's like, there's just so many well-worn paths like, Oh, what about the email mm-hmm. tomorrow? Or, Oh, I need to go read that for tomorrow. Or I wonder Mm -hmm. if Ez has emailed me anything about the podcast we're doing tomorrow. Like Mm -hmm. everything just boom. And it doesn't let me focus on it. it, I don't know. It seems like an act of great faith to like be okay to miss out, quote unquote, on something that might be happening. And like this universe will run just fine without me (laughs) plugged into the latest thing. Uh, The FOMO is real as
2: the youngsters say. Yeah. You know, and I think technology gives us the illusion that we're limitless, right? That we can be everywhere, we can be in and out of conversations, we can like amass a bunch of information, um, we can be connected globally. And so a lot of that is beautiful, but a lot of it gives us this kind of godlike omnipresence, this kind of feeling, and that becomes addictive too. And so a lot of it is even choosing to like to put your phone somewhere else is saying i'm i'm a created thing i am not god i am not everywhere at once the world is not spinning on my own axis Mm. and i think it's a fundamental acknowledgement that our limits are good and it's really hard
0: (laughs) yeah that's good you mentioned the hurried life is a slow creep back back into busy habits habits that do more than take up our time. They also take up our space in the soul for creativity, growth, and the slow work of transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you escape hurry in your life?
2: You know, a lot of it is just not over scheduling. Um, I, you know, for instance, podcasts and things like that, and conversations, I try to just have them on one or two days a week, um, so that I'm not like feeling, oh gosh, I got to be here and there. And, um, so choosing to put limits on my time, um, choosing then to prioritize my whole self and my community. So things like going for daily walks are really a, a practical way that I kind of put limits on my body and to realize I can't be and do and think everything all the time. Do I need to actually, you know, enjoy God's creation and move my body is one just real practical way um, that, yeah, we escape kind of these habits of hurry. We have to practice, like walking at a human pace and not always like, okay, I'm going to go like run five miles, you know, because that's another kind of productivity sort of shorthand. Um, But yeah, how do we slow down is going to be unique to each individual. But for me, those are a few things. And, you know, choosing to volunteer in my local church or things like that, remind me that I'm not always in charge, you know, that, Mm. that instead I am a part, I've been welcomed into the constraints of the church as well. And that is for my good and for other people's good, um, and yeah, to choose to, to even think about how do we structure a day, and then how are we also encouraged to kind of, you know, extend ourselves, um, given the limits uh, of others, too.
0: You wrote a book about uh, finding holy in the suburbs. I haven't read that book, so full disclaimer there. but. Sure. I watched an interview that you did. I think it was focused on the family on it. And, w- and mm-hmm. that was very interesting because my wife and I moved from Toronto, Canada. Dave lives mm-hmm. in Cincinnati, yeah. Ohio. Now we live in Napa, Idaho and just finishing up working with my doctor. And then who knows, maybe we'll be back in a city context. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, what what when, For Christians that are listening in busy cultures as opposed to those that are listening to for more rural cultures, what are mm-hmm. the different ways that you found from your perspective, how hurry and busyness creeps mm-hmm.
2: in? Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I I don't know if I could speak confidently to like rural life since I've never experienced that. I've you know, um, directly. Although there are a few miles away from us, like haystacks, which is a whole new thing. Like because we're we're in a suburban neighborhood here in Colorado, but then there are these farms, and you know, interspersed, uh, which is fun. But I'm always like, wow, there's just so much space. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I think uh, hurried kind of habits, um, they're going to look different in different places, you know, often in suburban contexts, it's going to look like, you know, keep this kind of cliche to, you know, keep up with the Joneses or you're, you're kind of all in on your kids and their activities. And so it's a, it's a physical movement from here to there um, as a way to kind of gain status. And maybe in cities, you're, you know, busily getting on the subway or, or whatnot, but um, you know, the status might be more kind of intellectual or, um, there instead of maybe material or, you know, socioeconomic, like it might be in suburbia. And those are just like vast generalizations. Um, but no, I, I can think see that.
0: that. Yeah. yeah.
2: How think you those, think,
0: like, do you think right, the way that I right, think, that kind of stuff? Right.
2: right. Oh. And so I think, you know, is to realize, okay, what, it, even to ask yourself, what are the habits of hurry in my place? And, mm. you know, to what extent are those good things, right? Like the life of the mind is good, right? Or like caring for your children is good. Um, But when those things become ultimate things, um, when they become idols in in some way that we've malformed them, that we are serving them, um, that's when we realize that we're not actually living in God's limits. We're living um, according to kind of the, what our place tells us to love. And in that first book, I really, I do talk about how our places shape our love. And we have to both acknowledge what is good about that and what needs redeeming in in our places.
0: Paying attention. (laughs) This is something I've really tried to shift in the last few years, but practical examples, my wife's talking and then she's like, okay, why are you walking out of the room, right? (laughs) Uh, How do you do that? How how does your husband do that? I mean, is this come naturally for you? I mean, I'm sure with pastoring, that's Mm -hmm. probably something he is, supposed to do a lot but then I don't know it depends it feels like to me a lot of times high performers it's it's a struggle because you want Mm -hmm. to okay say what you're going to say and say it with clarity or else I'm going to lose interest what's next what's next what's what I got to do after the podcast yeah I got something else to do Yeah. yeah
2: yeah it's really hard to pay attention for me especially because I tend to pay I like to pay attention to myself like oh I'm thinking all these great things or I've read this thing and I'm gonna like share it with everybody But like paying attention isn't just paying attention to ourselves, right? It's paying attention to the people that God's put in our lives, whether that's our neighbors or families or coworkers. And so it's, it's, you know, maybe a three-way kind of paying attention. We're paying attention to God. We're paying attention to ourselves. We're paying attention to other people. Um, And we probably are all good at various kind of, I don't know what the Venn diagram, right, would be of all of this. But, you know, to realize maybe even to ask yourself, okay what am I good at what becomes naturally for me I feel like I am often you know thinking a lot of things and processing a lot of things and paying attention to my emotions and so that comes really naturally but maybe it doesn't come as naturally to like pay attention to oh my husband's reading this is my I do this after almost 20 years of marriage still he's reading something I need to not interrupt him <laughs> because then he has to start the paragraph over, you know, and I just, am like, Hey, I read this cool thing. I want to tell you about it. Um, and so to, to maybe say, okay, which of these three God, myself or others, am I not paying attention to? And maybe I need to pull back on what comes most naturally so I can kind of have a more even heal.
0: Yep. Love it. You talk about the resurrection, kind of the, towards it towards the tail end of the book
2: Mm
0: -hmm. broad question here how Mm -hmm. does that shape your thinking
2: Mm -hmm. that is a good broad question um well i like to clarify that the reason i like to ask
0: that is is sometimes we get very used to the theological the the answer we're supposed to give right but um i mean that's such a powerful reality and i feel like it Mm -hmm. shapes us in different ways so that's Mm -hmm. why Mm -hmm. i ask that question
2: yeah yeah, no, I th- I think you know we can often think of the resurrection as a historical fact or you know, which it is, um, and or a kind of theological fact. This is what the resurrection accomplishes. Um, but I think often we don't let something like the resurrection really kind of sink into our imagination, like into our bones. Oh. And I think you know, for me, as I was writing a spacious life, there was just so much about like just dwelling in those stories and trying to kind of imagine my way in um, what Miss Mary have been thinking, you know, when Jesus says her name, like everything we thought about you and life has been like flipped upside its head in the most beautiful way imaginable. Or, you know, the disciples on the way to Emmaus that are dejected and, you know, they tell Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus. And they tell Jesus like, we had hoped. We had hoped. And like, we know that despair, right? We know that dejection. We know those like unfulfilled longings and this desire for hope and the ways in which our lives have been turned upside down. And it reminds me like even in our despair and our grief, one, we can be honest with God, like these disciples were. And two, like that we have an ultimate hope that no matter what kind of how those particularities kind of shake themselves out, that there is redemption and restoration at the final day. And and it's okay that I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I can trust that Jesus has compassion on me in those moments of grief and sorrow and dashed dreams.
0: Love it. I think this is really a fascinating conversation because i think well just different points like i said in my my Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. it's i'm thinking okay how do you how do you balance this with working hard and doing those things but then also doing it in a way that's that's healthy and and helpful um last Mm -hmm. question i guess i got unless david wants to add anything on you know you mentioned uh i think the story the interaction with jesus and peter right and one of the quotes you said you said friend when our hustle runs out or the hurry exhaust jesus is kindly bringing us to the end of our rope so we don't have to keep running any longer. He's serving us breakfast on the beach, our limits then aren't what bar us from Jesus, they are an invitation into love."
2: Mm.
0: Why did that interaction, Jesus and Peter, why did that strike you the way it did?
2: Mm. You know, I just think it's such a... like, he didn't have to do that. Jesus did not have to restore Peter, and we tend to think of God kind of like our maybe earthly parents who, of course, and me being a parent, I know I've messed up countless times, Um, But it's easy to shame someone like, I just can't believe you did that. Like, come on, you know, and instead Jesus feeds his body and offers him the chance to get in on God's good work. But instead of like Peter running ahead like he did and before Jesus was crucified and he chopped off the soldier's ear, like Jesus saying like, this is a different way, you know, that the purpose that we're each invited into, like Peter is a different way than like rushing ahead and making our plans happen. It's saying like my deepest identity is as a child of God and God's already at work and he doesn't need me to like make his kingdom come. It's already come (laughs) in Jesus. And so like I get in on that. It's like a kid who gets to swing a hammer alongside his dad. He's like not doing the best job, but like they're both really excited to be working together um, and they enjoy doing it. And you know, the father's gonna fix it if the kid messes up, it's fine. And you know, I think if we could feel that delight of God, like that little boy or little girl working, you know, alongside his or her dad and to realize we are then welcomed into purpose and not to accomplish anything for ourselves but because we get in on our father's business and that is a beautiful invitation.
1: Amen. Hey man, we get to partner with God and what he's doing in the world. He does all the heavy lifting.
2: Yeah.
1: I don't, I think it takes, I think for me, if you're looking from the outside, a lot of times you look at a productive person and I don't know that I can tell the difference, what their motivations mm-hmm. are. Right. Right. But those motivations make all the difference. And it takes the pressure off me. Like yeah. I'm not a big deal. Like, it's like somebody that's, well, this is a bad example because they're not doing great now. It's like kind of being on a basketball team with LeBron. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, he's going to carry us. And at the end of the day, when the championship trophy, like we all know he he did the heavy lifting, but like I'm on mm-hmm. the team or like I'm in the family, I'm in God's family. And mm-hmm. um, I don't have to, I'm not earning anything when I when I do this. Um, mm-hmm. I, I already have standing and access to God And uh, that's been, honestly, personally, that's been Mm
0: -hmm. quite
1: paradigm shifting from how I viewed things at, um, at, at the beginning. And yet I feel like I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm, I don't feel unproductive, but I don't, I don't, I don't feel that anxiety that I felt before.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. That's
2: great. Yeah.
0: Well, Dr. Ashley Hales, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Where can people find you and reach you at all, all hours of the day? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, except I won't respond, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm on social media at AA Hales If you want to start a conversation and you can also go to my website, it's a spacious.life and I have a little hustle habit quiz to find out how you hustle past your limits. And then there's also a little roadmap to kind of help you get out of your hustle habit, as well as information about a spacious life there on that page.
0: Well, thank you for indulging us today and, and sharing. It's been a, really an honor. And uh, I, I mean this, your book was just what it needed, right timing, um, perfect. So thank really you. enjoyed our conversation.
2: Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.
1: You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.